You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Chews is the critic for NPR's All Things Considered. His latest collection of essays is A Trance After Breakfast. His new novel is A Song of Slaves in the Desert. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Always a pleasure, Ray. Let's see. We have a very interesting selection of three books we're discussing today. Let's start out with uh, a book that is a piece of very recent historical fiction, uh, Kill Bin Laden. This is yes. a book that could easily seem to be very jingoistic, and um, I was, I have to admit, I was a little bit surprised that you selected it at first. Well, I, I really like John Wiseman's uh, fiction, and it, it's always fascinating to me because he's, he's one of these guys who has a pipeline into these security agencies, uh, and he's so good at, at what he does. Uh, so you really do get a picture of what was probably going on during these military operations. One of uh, the the one he focuses on is the is the uh, the one to uh, get Bin Laden. And so I I always find this work very you know, quite fascinating. Uh, well, I was uh, pleasantly surprised. I thought it was extremely well written. It put us in the minds of these people and uh, captured the characters and the scenes really well. And it gave us a, an interesting viewpoint into the kind of decision-making that goes on behind this and the how the different levels of decision-making affect one another and affect the action on the ground. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he really gets you into the, the minds of people who make these uh, decisions. And you get the, the obligatory feuds uh, between the military and the civilians and um, the... Uh, you know the the problems within the ranks. Um, I mean, in this case, the the unit that uh, carried out the 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 uh, execution of Bin Laden that carried out this mission was uh, in in disgrace uh, because they had uh, flummoxed a a a mission they had been sent on, and they were they were sent to rescue. Uh, a British hostage from uh, these the terrorists, and she was accidentally killed by friendly fire during the course of the operation. So they're in disgrace, but their commander knows they're the best unit he has, and so he uh, maneuvers to, to get them this assignment. I, I think one of the things that's uh, really interesting is just um, the, the pacing of this, and it's really, even though we're you know, dealing with uh, historical events. Um, Weissman does a great job as pacing this as a, you know, a really page-turning novel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of these by the numbers, by the day, you know, by the hour, by the day, which I think begins, uh, is a convention that begins with uh, Day of the Jackal, doesn't it? 
Is that, is that the way you recollect it? I think so. Yeah, boy, and I, that's uh, still an iconic book in my <laughs> yeah in my perceptive. That's a perception. That's a that's a hard one to to beat. And but I think this uh, comes pretty close. It, it's um, one of the things too is that uh, Weissman doesn't overload us with too many details. Mm-hmm. He gives us what we need to know to move the plot forward. Yeah. and keeps us on the ground with the people. And I think it's a it's a very engaging book, and it, I'm you know I think it, it's a it's a interesting look at the way war is changing. Oh yeah, and, I mean I think we see uh, a great shift in these novels now. I mean there's no more uh, Thermopylae and there's no more uh, Gettysburg. <laughs> Uh, nor uh, there's on nor is there uh, you know uh, or Stalingrad, uh, fortunately. Yeah, or you know the uh, uh, Normandy Beach. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is all um, stealth. This is uh, surgical strikes. We're entering a very new kind of combat. And mm-hmm. it, the, what's interesting too is uh, you know as we read this and experience this, you know, we're kind of it's kind it's thrilling and it's exciting. But there's a kind of unsettling uh, morality sh- shift in this in a way that we're shifting uh, changing war. Yes, it's uh, we seem to have developed uh, military units that are uh, that have the same consciousness as mercenaries, but they're not mercenaries. They're working within our own ranks, um, and and you know you have to say there's a certain uh, Roman stoicism about these uh, these soldiers because they are ready to die to do their duty for the rest of us. I mean it's uh, it's a concept that. We only now and then see in in uh, modern warfare. I mean, it it certainly was not there in World War One. It was there in World War Two. It wasn't there in Korea. It wasn't there in Vietnam. It's you know on and off again in Iraq and Afghanistan. But these guys are trained to uh, to be prepared to sacrifice themselves for the greater body of citizens and for, for the greater good. I'm not exactly sure I know what to make of this turn of events, but I, it, it seems to be something that has occurred. Well, it's certainly interesting to read this in the the form of a novel as, a for, in, as opposed to a nonfiction. I think it makes it uh, a more uh, involving and engaging experience on all levels, really. Yeah. I mean, Wiseman's a couple of his previous novels, uh, he uses this technique where, which I've only seen once, used once before, um, where there there is a, a blackout in certain information, <laughs> censored big black bars over certain sentences. Oh, he redacts his own work? Yeah, well, he, <laughs> he, 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 you know, the fiction is that it's been reviewed and the military has redacted. <laughs> what fun. Uh, let's go from uh, recent history to all of history. <laughs> right. <laughs> this, uh, Ryu Mitsusi's novel, 10 Billion days and 100 billion nights and you know uh, one of the things that uh, when you wrote me about these selections you were suggesting that we were having a real genre fest but i'd say actually that's not the case i think that all three of the books we're talking about here are very mainstream novels and i'd say this is a very mainstream novel in that um, even though it has a lot of science fiction aspects to it, mm-hmm. we're talking about historical characters over vast amounts of time. Yeah, there's a real philosophical underpinning. Uh, nobody that I've read has really tried this, faced this squarely, uh, really since Olaf Stapledon in the, in the last 30s. and first. Yeah, last and first men. 
I and, mean, this is a lot of time, mm-hmm. $10 billion, $100 billion. Um, Remember Everett Dirksen's famous remark about the U.S. budget, a billion here, a billion there, and pretty soon you're talking about real money. <laughs> I mean, this is real time, $10 billion, $100 billion. Well, also, too, this uh, uh, Ryu is absolutely not afraid to take on the biggest characters and the biggest names in all of world history and take them from the beginning to the end and set them up against one another. He pulls out gods, men, uh, Jesus, Plato, you name it. Well, there, there. great shootout between uh, <laughs> this cosmic shootout between uh, Buddha in his form as Siddhartha and Plato, who has transmogrified into a kind of avatar, space avatar, and the goddess Ashura uh, against Jesus. Uh, I mean, and it's not funny. Oh no, it's no, very no. Serious. No, and. and uh, 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 Mitsuse is a good enough writer to make all this stuff work. And there's a certain, I think, uh, um, fortunate opacity mm-hmm. in this in terms of that it's a, it's kind of dense, so it makes it, uh, it gives it uh, pith, and, it, and, and that makes that stuff so that you can, like, swallow having Plato and Jesus and, mm-hmm. and Siddhartha. I mean, in some cases, you might just look at that and say, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and in this case, you go, wow. Yeah, and he also, I guess he's got a strong scientific background, so mm-hmm. that the, uh, the gadgetry in it uh, sounds really interesting and, and, and uh, serious. Yeah, yeah, no, well, one of the uh, great underrated skills of any science fiction writer is what's called a hand-waving, mm-hmm. where you can kind of like uh, say, here's this gadget and make it sound good. Here's this, you know, technology and make it sound good and have it uh, seem that way, whether you read it the day after the novel was published or, you know, 30 years later, as in this case. I mean, that's one of the, the strengths of Frank Herbert's Dune, is mm-hmm. you read that book and, it, and all that technology seems, well, that, that could happen in the future. It seems, mm-hmm. makes a certain amount of sense. And same with the Asimov and Lamb and Clark. I, I just saw a frightening uh, reference to Asimov uh, in a profile of Newt Gingrich. Apparently, Gingrich read the entire Foundation series and thought, well, here's, here's a way to try to understand the universe. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine a president who's read the entire Foundation series? Well, that might not be a bad thing, but uh, Newt Gingrich? Newt. Well, I don't know. Hitler used to listen to good music, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, polluted, I think, uh, Wagner for all time, eh? Yeah. Um, nonetheless, and also this is a very nice book. It has a glow-in-the-dark cover. Uh, it's a It's a book that's well outside the mainstream of any kind of uh, science fiction you're going mm-hmm. to expect to find. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a book in many ways that doesn't exactly read like science fiction as as we expect it now. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not gadget fiction. It's a lot more philosophical yeah. and... Uh, and speculative in a, in a very serious way. Yes. Now, on the other hand, um, and this is I was thinking about... Uh, Michael Crichton in his mm-hmm. latest novel. And one of the things I've always thought about Crichton, and I've been reading him since his, the Andromeda strain and Binary came out a bazillion years ago, is that for all the fact that he uses the stuff of science fiction, it never reads like science fiction. Yes. And I was kind of thinking about that, and I was thinking that he's not really a speculate. He never really speculates 
or even if he does, it doesn't write or read like speculation. Yes. So how do we describe him? Um, science fiction. He's science fiction, but not speculative science yeah, fiction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and uh, in his latest book, Micro, he takes on uh, nanotechnology and does something uh, very different from what he did with Prey. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, it's a <laughs> it's a it's a story that you might call "Honey, I Shrunk the Students." <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, right. Actually, I saw a waggish uh, review. I mean, I did a straight review. Some, some, well, almost straight, but somebody did a wag. I saw a waggish reference to it. "Honey, I Shrunk Jurassic Park." <laughs> well, uh, what this has, I think, this is actually one of his uh, scarier novels. It's much more effectively horrific, I think, actually, mm-hmm. than Jurassic Park or The Lost World. Well, you know, he he takes. Um, I mean, people have done this before. Richard Madison did it in the was it the Incredible Shrinking Man? Absolutely. And I mean, this is many years, fifty years ago, almost. And and you know, we've seen the the you know the movies in which people get shrunk down. I mean, including a movie of the Matheson and uh, Raquel Welch getting shrunk down and Fantastic Voyage. Yeah, and and the uh, you know the. The, the, the comedy, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And and then Crichton himself in Prey, as you say, and he still manages to wring real excitement and, and seriousness out of this uh, material. Well, that has to do, too, with uh, Crichton's a very adept at uh, plotting and at scene setting. And, yeah. you know... Uh, so we have to say, Rick, remember, this is... this novel, he died before he completed this novel. Mm-hmm. He left some chapters, we don't know how many, and notes, and it was taken up by the terrific uh, science writer, Richard Preston, to complete. And, and I don't know the history of you know, how much he had to do, but um, so it's a collaboration beyond the grave. And, and it's, um, But it's not apparent. And, and no. You won't notice it, it when it you is, read it. It is seamless. There's no doubt about it. And, um, and it's and it's brilliantly entertaining. I thought. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I agree. I thought it's a book that you'll um, eat in a couple days and uh, like you know it's a good good book to read over the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things too, I think that uh, makes this book uh, quite engaging um, is uh, Crichton's ability to describe a scene of action, which I think is something. Um, as a literary technique that's not much often talked about, mm-hmm. but it's it's difficult to master. Mm-hmm. And I think when uh, somebody like Crichton does it, um, it's really immersive and more immersive than movies, more immersive than video games. You're right there with these people in, in these terrifying places. And I think that he does a really great job. He and Preston together do a great job of... Um, putting you there, you know, and, and they do a great job of also of getting you there, too, which is yeah. also really important. Yeah, I mean, this is really, but, you know, finally, it's one of the most entertaining books anyone's going to read all year. I mean, it's just pure entertainment and, and wonderfully, wonderfully done, wonderfully convincing. I mean, he, um, he, I mean, maybe this is Preston's part, I don't know, but I mean, Crichton's certainly capable of it. Uh, I mean, describing uh, you know, these insects up close from the point of view of a tiny human being looking up at these tropical spiders from the rainforest on Oahu um, and, and getting stuck in a moth uh, 
a moth's nest. Um, I mean, these are extraordinary scenes. I, I thought so, too. And, and uh, as a guy who likes monsters, I, I thought he did a great job of turning, you know, all our favorite, all things that get many people the heebie-jeebies in their small stays, mm-hmm. size, you know, turning them into excellent giant monsters. And, yes. And, and uh, for, from the perspective of someone who just shops for monsters, this is a fine book with lots of finely rendered monsters. Yeah, and, and it's just, uh, you know, a, a tribute to Crichton, and it's very sad. Um, I mean, there are, when I did a review for, uh, for uh, All Things Considered, the publisher wanted us to add a note saying uh, there may be other Crichton books out there, because I called it his last novel. But, but they don't, the, the current publisher, HarperCollins, doesn't have any contracts for them, but they seem to think that they're out there and they may want to publish them. Hard to know. I guess we'll find out down the road, but I've been waiting for this one, uh, you know, for a year, ever since I heard about it. It's, it's, it's extraordinary the way we when we hear about a new book by a writer who's, whom we love to read and just can't wait. I mean, it creates a kind of excitement. I, maybe it's, I mean, it's an excitement at least parallel to, to uh, you know, young sexual you know sexual adventures from young younger days or uh, i mean what what would you compare it to love um, and affect i mean deep love oh i'm going to see my love in four, 40 days <laughs> it's like a it's like the anticipation for a holiday for mm-hmm. me or a vacation yeah. you know a really fine super fun vacation yes yes because in in you know the best books create the same kind of memories for you I think, you know, that you read that book and you can go back and visit the places you were in that. Well, even better than that. I mean, that's the, that's one of the paradoxes of um, reading. And that, I mean, you know, you've done things and you meet people who are more vivid to you than, you know, some of the people you've grown up with, some of the people in, in your immediate family, some of the things you've done in your own life. I mean, they're more vivid, more familiar to you, show you more about the world than actual experience. But I guess that's what art does, doesn't it? That's, that's why we love books, and yep. that's why we discuss them at least once a month. Yes. I've been speaking with Alan Chews. His newest book is A Song of Slaves in the Desert. You can hear him on NPR. The three books we discussed today were KBL, Kill Bin Laden by John Weissman, 10 Billion Days and 100 Billion Nights by Ryu Metsuse and Micro by Michael Crichton and Richard Preston. Thank you for joining me. Oh, a pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.